Well, good morning, Kingsway. If you are a graduate of the class of 2016, either high school or college, would you please stand up real quick so we can congratulate you together? You guys can sit down. Uh, we, are, as, a, as your church family, just want to say we love you. We are so excited for you. We are so excited to see where it is God is taking you next and what he is going to do in your lives. We're here for you. We are. We're, we're praying for you. We are back here supporting you. As Some of you are going to be going off to different cities that you've never lived in, different states that you've never lived in before, some to college, some to jobs. But wherever it is, know that we are back here praying for you. We are back here to support you and that we want to encourage you to keep going and to keep honoring Jesus as we have tried to teach you and, and instill in you while you've been here. There have been a lot of people who have been a part of that. You've got parents and, and grandparents, some who are probably still in town, maybe still in your hair a little bit, and that's okay, um, who, who, have, who have poured in just a lot of time and a lot of energy. And parents, we are so grateful for the dedication that you have made to seeing your child become someone who is following Jesus with their life. I know that we've also got a lot of people in here who serve in kids ministry, who serve in student ministry, who pour into the next generation week after week, month after month, so that whenever you all leave here, you go out of here and you take the name of Jesus with you. And whatever it is you go to do, you go to do it in his name. And so thank you for all of you who have poured into and invested into the lives of these students. And again, we just want to say congratulations. And if it's okay, I would just like to pray over you all this morning. So if you guys are back your heads with me. Father God, we are, you, you are a great God, Lord, and, and we are grateful to get to know you and to be loved by you. And Lord, um, for these students who, who have reached just this, this momentous achievement, Lord, uh, of graduation, Lord, um, we, we know that, that you want to guide their steps. And so we pray that they would, they, they would turn to you, that they would, that they would lean into you, Lord, that in wherever they go next, they would keep you as the number one most important thing in their life. And Lord, I pray that we as their church family would continue to support them and continue to encourage them to grow in the relationship with you, Lord Jesus, and to know you more. And so, Lord, we ask that, we pray that over these graduates. We pray your blessing on them and whatever it is that you are leading them to next. And we ask all of these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I know this is a bad weekend to bring this up, but I'm not much of a car guy. Uh, I have the utmost appreciation for car guys, especially the car guys that keep me out on the road. Like, I love you people to death. But just never once have I popped open the hood of a car and said to myself, you know what? I think it'd be really fun to take this thing apart. <clears throat> Put it back together. Never once. But whenever I was a teenager, my dad started pulling me out into the garage to do some, some of the basic maintenance on some of our family vehicles, you know. So I started learning things like rotating tires and changing headlights and changing brake pads, things like that. Now, at the time, uh, it was the last thing I wanted to do. It's like, Dad, it's Saturday. Saturday is for sleeping and video games, not manual labor. 
But now I am so grateful that he, he would bring me out, that he would have me be a part of those jobs, that he, that he taught me to do handiwork on a car, that he taught me to do things around the house, basic fix-up jobs, uh, be, be basically so that I would not be inept when it comes to using a toolbox. And so he, he did these things, and now whenever I finish a project around the house or whenever I fix something up on the car, I call my dad up and I brag about it. I'm like, hey, Dad. Guess whose uh, guess who's water heater isn't making that clunky noise anymore? <laughs> hey, Dad, guess what? Bet you can't tell which door my toddler punched a hole in with the uh, doorstop. Want to know why? Because I fixed it. <laughs> Feeling really good. But I do. I love letting my dad know that I have taken to heart this wisdom that he worked so hard to pass on to me. And we are in this series right now, Brick and Mortar. And in this series, we have been, we, we've been talking about just like it's important for us to have the right skills and the right tools to, to take care of our homes, it, it's important for us to have the right skills and the right tools for a well-lived life. And, and, and whether you had, had, a, had a dad like mine who was great, whether you had a dad like mine who, who, who taught you so much, or, or whether you had a dad who, unfortunately, I know so, in so many stories, a dad who, who let you down, who, who failed you in so many ways, we know that we have a God who is a better father than any other ever could be, and that he is a God who has wanted to teach us these skills, who has wanted to give us these tools to live a meaningful life. And he gave these to us through some very wise men passing down some very wise words to us in the Bible. And so this series is all about taking those tools and getting them into our toolbox, figuring out how we can apply these words of wisdom to our lives. And, and so we've been looking at some stuff about wisdom, and, and, and if you missed last week, go back, listen to Matt's message. He talks all about why it's important to have the right tools, why it's important to live wisely. Go back and catch up on that. But, but basically it comes down to this. When we live wisely, we're able to honor God with our lives, and we're able to keep from messing them up, which for a lot of us in this room, the honoring God piece is very important, that we want to honor God with our lives. If that's not you, if you're here with us today and you're not sure about God, you're not sure about any of this stuff, you're here because you're in town with family or because there's a race happening later that you're going to go see, if that's your story but you're here with us today, we are so glad you're here. Thank you for being a part of this with us this morning. Thank you for being willing to come and just kind of hear about this. But I think it's safe to say that even if you, wherever any of us are with God, we would probably agree that we don't want to mess up our lives if we can help it. Yes? Yeah, I think so. All right, so uh, with, with that said, uh, who can tell me what this is? Air filter. That's right. It's an air filter, a furnace filter. I actually took this one out of the West Building because I forgot mine from home. All right, this is, this is an air filter. Uh, this keeps your home's heating system from, uh, from accumulating dust and from blowing it all around your house and clogging up your vents, basically making the air that you breathe in your house unbreathable. So th these, thi these things are pretty important. And I remember the first time I ever bought one of these. You might say that's a really weird thing to remember. It is. Uh, but I remember it because it was, it was about a year, into, a year into our marriage. I, I'd been married to my wife for just over a year. We just bought our first house. And so uh, somebody, probably my dad, said, hey, you need to get an air filter for your furnace. It's an important thing to have. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll go to the store and pick one up. And 
I didn't look at the one that I had before I went. I was just like, I, I, I've not, you know, it's, it's an air filter. It'll probably be labeled. They'll say air filters for your house, and I'll just go, and I'll, and I'll pick one up, and, and everything will be fine. And, and those of you who have ever purchased an air filter before are laughing at me, as you should be, because, you know, you walk into that aisle, and all of a sudden there's like 80 different kinds of air filters, all different sizes, and you've got to pick out the exact right one for your system because if you get the wrong filter, it's not going to work. So let me ask you this. Who's ever gotten themselves in trouble with something that they've said? Go ahead. Put them up. Everybody. <laughs> Every single one of us have gotten ourselves into trouble. We have all said the wrong thing, or we've said the, maybe the right thing at the wrong time, or we've said it to the wrong person. And, and sometimes it feels like we can't go through a single day without getting ourselves into trouble with our mouths. Case in point, a couple of Sundays ago, I, I came in and, and I ran into my fellow student minister, Jess Holliday. She, we, we were upstairs in the lighthouse getting things ready for our students, and I noticed that she had, had done something different. She'd gotten some color in her hair. It's fine. Um, so so I, I have learned from my wife that whenever a girl does something different with her hair, you're supposed to notice. You're supposed to say something. And so, so I did. I said, Hey, you did something different with your hair. So far, so good. Um, so the, the next thing that, that I learned from my wife, important piece of wisdom that I've gotten from her, is that sometimes when a girl does something different with her hair, she doesn't always like the way it turns out. Can I get an amen, ladies? <laughs> so the next question that I asked, thinking I'm being sensitive to that, was, do you like it? Apparently, this is the wrong thing to say, <laughs> because I haven't stopped hearing about it from both Jess and all the rest of my female coworkers ever since. See, I was, I, in my head, I was thinking, this is, okay. this, is gonna, this is a good question to ask, because you know what? I don't want to say I think it looks nice. I did. I thought it looked fine. Uh, I don't want to say I think it looks nice if she doesn't think it looks nice, because then she's going to think that I'm being insincere. So I'm just going to let her set the tone for how the whole group feels about her hair. You guys can debate, debate that with each other whenever you go home. I have since learned a new lesson, and that's say nothing. Just <laughs> pretend to be oblivious, and maybe you'll get in trouble for being oblivious, but you know what? It's just a safer route to go. And this is a goofy example, and honestly, we've had a good laugh about it over in the office, but the truth of the matter is there have been times where I have said things to people that have put my foot in my mouth so badly that it has kept me up at night. There have been times where I will replay conversations in my head over and over and over again, wishing I had said something different, thinking about what I could have said that would have made it better. Wishing I could just like cast a fishing line out and just like reel my words back in before they got to somebody. As, as James says in his book, I, I, I've set fires off with the things that I have said. Started fires in my life and in the lives of other people because of things that I have said with my mouth. And I'm just like sitting here with a little bucket of water just desperately trying to put them out. And I think we've all been there. 
So whenever it comes to our toolbox of wisdom, whenever it comes to the things that we need to know, I think that controlling what we say, the ability to control our mouths is a big one. How many of the hurts and the hang-ups in our lives could have been prevented if we had just been a little wiser with the things that we said? And the book of Proverbs has a ton to say about how a wise person is known by the wise things that they say. It's all over the book, and I'm just going to give a few examples out of one chapter. This all comes out of Proverbs chapter 10. 10.11 says that the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. 10.13, wise words come from the lips of people with understanding, but those lacking sense will be beaten with a rod. I feel like we've all deserved that beating a time or two. 10.21 says, the words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. 31 and 32, the mouth of the godly person gives wise advice, but the tongue that deceives will be cut off. The lips of the godly speak helpful words. But the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. So we look at this wisdom, and and we look at the damaging effects of of our words, of of the things that we've said. And if you are anything like me, you say, I've got to start controlling my words. I've got to to get a handle on, on the things that we say. And you know what I could use? I could use a good filter. I just need to filter the things that I say. And to an extent, there is some truth to this. There's another proverb out of chapter 10 that I left out. Chapter 10, 19 says this. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. If you ever wanted instant sermon application, it is right here. This is the Amazon Prime of sermon applications. You can get it quick and you can put it to work right away. If you want to be, if you want to get yourself into less trouble, speak less. And there are proverbs that just speak to the truth of this. Even even a fool will seem wise if he just doesn't talk. So there's truth to it. So what we do is we head on over to the wisdom store, proverbial wisdom store. We head on over there and we head to the filter aisle and we're like, what I need to do in my life is I need to pick up some good filters that will keep my mouth from getting me into trouble. So we'll pick out like a foul language filter. And most of us are wearing that one right now because we're in church. And, and we know that God can hear what we say in church. Maybe not on the ride home. And so we put in our, our foul language filter. And then you know, I'll, I'll, pick up, I'll pick up a gossip filter because I don't want to do that. And I'll pick up, I'll pick up a filter on, on criticism because the proverb said, my words are supposed to be life-giving. They're, so, they're supposed to give life to others and nothing really sucks the life out of people like, like criticism. So, so I'll put up on a filter for criticism. And, and maybe, I'll, maybe I'll get one for complaining. You know, I'll get a filter that'll keep me from complaining. My, I've got my three-year-old son. I'm trying to, to teach him a little bit. It's like, you know, God tells us that we're supposed to do everything without complaining or arguing. And he goes, but why? <laughs> He's complaining about God's command not to complain. I think he gets it. You know, we, 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 put, we put filters in our mouth for anger. We, we, we just try to, to filter all of these different things, and, and we figure that, that if we're, we're, we're going to be wise, we have very good intentions to just to filter our mouths, filter our language, so that all that comes out is good, wholesome, family-friendly, wise, filtered language. But there's a problem. And anyone who's ever tried to filter their language before probably already has an idea of what this problem is. It's temporary. 
It's not something that lasts. You know, we've got our, our filters into place, but it's not a solution to the problem because all it takes is the right thing to happen, the right situation, or maybe just the right person. And I think that you probably can think of who that person is without having to work too hard at it. The right person and everything that you've been filtering, everything that you've been holding back just like plows on through. Like it just comes flying out and you say all of the things that you've been trying to filter and it comes pouring out of you. And it's disheartening when this happens and we look out at the, at the damage that we caused again with our mouths and we you know what, I just got to redouble my efforts to get this thing under control. I've just got to work harder. I've got to filter better what comes out of my mouth. Well, James chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 has some bad news for us, but it's bad news that I think leads us to a better place. And it says this. It says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It doesn't matter what kind of filter you put on your mouth. It is sitting there. It is just waiting for the opportunity to strike, waiting for the opportunity to push through that filter, to bust right on through, and to do all kinds of damage in your life. So Kingsway, what are we supposed to do? Well, we need to get the right filter. But the right filter isn't a mouth filter. The right filter isn't a foul language filter. It's not a complaining filter. It's not any of those filters that we might pick up at our wisdom stores. We don't need to filter our mouths because James tells us we cannot tame our tongues. Because our tongues are a symptom of a bigger issue. Now, I love pretty grass. Does anybody in here love pretty grass? Like, it's probably the reason I am the only person in the, on earth who likes to watch golf on TV, even though I don't play. Uh, I love pretty grass, which means, which means my natural-born enemy are dandelions. When you're a little kid, you're like, oh, pretty yellow flowers. It's like you become a homeowner, and you're like, hellspawn is taking over my yard. Hmm. Now, whenever I, uh, whenever I first got, got my, into my home, this is becoming a recurring thing in here, there were some things I still needed to learn. And so I, there were dandelions in, in the yard in our, in our house, and, and, and I was like, you know what? Good mo will clean these right up. <laughs> and sure, you know what? We mowed, my yard looked better for like a day. But then like two days later, all of the dandelions are back, like, with a vengeance. They're like Hydra from those Captain America movies, like, cut off one head, two more takes its place. Dandelions are bad news. And what I figured out, what I learned very quickly, is that I took care of a symptom. I took care of what was on top. I took care of what was on the surface. But if you really want to get, get rid of dandelions, you've got to get down to the root of the problem. In the same way... Our mouths, they cause all kinds of trouble. We start fires with the things that we say, but if we put filters on our mouths, we are never going to solve the problem. Because everything's going to keep bursting out. It's going to keep coming up. It's a symptom. It is not at the root of the issue. The problem is not with our mouths. It's with our hearts. 
Jesus talks about this in Matthew 12, 33 through 37. He's talking to a group of Pharisees. These were people who were very religious. They were, they were all about the talking about following God, but they were people who, who it hadn't gotten into. It hadn't gotten a hold of their hearts, what it meant. And Jesus said this to them in Matthew 12. He said, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is right and good? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Underline that, highlight that, circle that, whatever you do in in your scripture. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. And if I'm being frank, this is bad news for a lot of us. Is this pretty much eliminates all of the excuses that we make for the things that we say. The time that you say that hurtful thing to your wife or to your husband, and then you go, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean that. Yes, you did. Whatever it is is in your heart determines what you say. As our words aren't the root of our problem, our words aren't at the bottom of who we are, but our words are what rat us out. Our words are what give us away. They're going to expose us for who we really are. And our words will either expose us for being somebody who wants to honor God and being someone who wants to be life-giving to others. As Jesus said, our words will acquit us. Or our words are going to expose us for having wickedness in our hearts and they will condemn us. I think it's safe to say that every single one of us in this room has been condemned for the wickedness in our hearts at some time or another. Every single one of us at some point or another have had our hearts show that we are wicked, that we are apart from God, and that we are deserving of his punishment. We might ask, but if, if, if saying bad things means that you're a bad person, then how could anybody ever be good? Exactly. This is why we so desperately need Jesus Jesus is the only truly good person to ever live, and he loved us while we had wickedness in our hearts, while there was wickedness coming from our mouths. Jesus loved us so much that he died on a cross to pay the penalty for our wicked hearts, to pay the penalty for our wicked mouths. So that even if we can never do anything to filter our mouth, even if we can never do anything to tame our tongue, if we ask Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior, Jesus can change our heart. Jesus can give us a new heart and we can know that there's no condemnation waiting for us, but that we get to spend eternity with him. Romans 10, 9 and 10, it has this beautiful picture of the relationship between our hearts and our mouths. Just as much as they are tied together in our condemnation, they are tied together in our redemption. Look at this. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, that means speak it with your mouth, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. 
This is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that we love baptism here at Kingsway. Because you can be sitting in your seat and you can internally say to yourself, in your heart, I want Jesus to save me. And that is a great thing. That's a beautiful thing. It's something that's supposed to happen. But at baptism, it gives you the opportunity for open declaration. It gives you the opportunity to say with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that he died to save you. And you can know that no matter what wickedness was in your heart, no matter what wildfires you had started with your mouth, that you have been saved. Amen? That's the good news. Now for the work. If the only thing that you take out of here this morning is that Jesus can change my wicked heart, you know what? I'm good with that. I'm fine if, if, if that's all you get. But for a lot of us in this room who have, who have experienced that saving grace of Jesus, a lot of us in here who have had that in our lives would, would be quick to say, my words still get me into trouble. Like, there are still things that I say with my mouth. I'm still out there causing fires, causing damage in my life, in other people's lives. And, and, and we still have growing in wisdom to do. There's still things that we need to do now as followers of Jesus to, to do work on our hearts. And again, it's not about a mouth filter. But a filter isn't a bad idea. A filter on our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Because your heart is so important, especially because it is so important to the things that you say, we need to protect it. We need to take care of it if we are going to live a God-honoring, life-giving life. When I first heard the phrase, guard your heart, I heard it in the context of relationships. Um, basically, it was all of the Christian girls that I knew in college used it as like, I don't want to date you, but it sounds holier to say I'm guarding my heart. And, like, and that it gave me a very sour taste in it. It was like, it was like oh yeah, guarding your heart is about, is about you know, protecting yourself and, and not getting too committed in a relationship. And, and really, I'm just waiting for the Lord to bring me to a guy with washboard abs. Like, that's what guarding your heart is really about. And so I did. I soured a little bit on this phrase. And, and the truth is that if we get it out of that context of relationships, not that I'm saying it's not important to guard your heart in relationships. It is. But if we get it out of that context, get it back here where it makes just a, a a, a little bit more sense in my mind. We see this, that guarding your heart is about setting up protection for the things, the, to, to protect something that's vitally important. Because what gets to your heart is ultimately what's going to come out of your mouth, which in turn is going to lead you to either living a life that honors God or a life that keeps messing up. And so, the, you know that old thing that your mom used to tell you, garbage in, garbage out? Well, it turns out that it is 100% accurate. Moms are smart. The, the, the more you expose yourself to wickedness, the more wickedness gets to take hold of your life. And we all want to think that the things that we take in, are the, the, the stuff that we watch, the stuff that we listen to, the conversations we have, it's not going to have an effect on me. Yeah, it's not, it's not really, it's, it, yeah, I'm just watching a movie, I'm just listening to something, I'm just talking to somebody. It's not going to really do anything. And guys, if we're all being real honest for a second, like that excuse might have worked on your mom when you were a teenager, 
but I'm not your mom. And you're not a teenager anymore. And while you might think that that can fool you, that it's like, oh, yeah, I can watch whatever I want. It doesn't affect me. I can listen to whatever I want. It won't affect me. It's not fooling your heart. It's an excuse we make because we don't like to filter content. We don't like to be told what to watch. We don't like to be told what to listen to. We don't like to be told who to have conversations with or what kind of things to say. And it's not just about the profane. There are relationships that we have that, 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 that do this to us. These, these, they're, they're gossiping relationships that you're in. Relationships where it's like all you do whenever you talk with this person are, are say negative things about other people or share things that shouldn't be shared. Sometimes in church we call them prayer groups. Like we, 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 we do these things. We have these relationships that are just gossip. And we say, I couldn't imagine changing that relationship. You know, that person's so important to me. It's important to me to stay close to them. Or I couldn't imagine not watching, watching that movie. It's so funny. Everybody says that it's hilarious. I want to be up on what everyone else is doing. Or, or I've got that friend that, that they call me and they just, you know, they tell me everything that's going wrong in their life with their husband or with their kids or with their job. And, and I tell them everything going wrong in my life with my husband or my spouse or my kids, or my job. You know, we're just calling each other to vent. You know, that's, that's all it is. Here's the thing. I'm not saying that we can only watch Christian movies or that we can only listen to Christian music. I'm not saying that you have to cut out of your life every relationship that you have with a person who doesn't have their speech under control. I'm not saying that we can't have people in our life that we share the frustrations that are going on in our world with but we got to be realistic about how this stuff affects us. We have got to take a good, hard look, be realistic about how it's affecting us, and we need to guard our hearts. After you watch a profane movie, and I'm not talking just about curse language, I'm talking about something that's really vulgar. Like, after you watch something like that, are you in a better place? Like, do you feel like you're closer to God and that you're more likely to speak life-giving words after that? after you have that conversation, after you have that venting session with that friend, are you feeling more in a place of mercy towards those things that you've been venting about, your spouse, your kids, your job? Do you have more of a heart of Christ for those people after you have those conversations, after you let out all of that anger, after you do those things? So are you feeling closer to God with those, or are you just riled up and ready to start more fires with your words? There's some movies that are just bad choices. I'm not going to list them all off to you, but there are some movies that are just bad choices. There's some stuff you listen to that are just bad choices. And Proverbs doesn't tell us to be in on what's the most funny or what's the most innovative or what everybody in popular culture is talking about. Proverbs tells us to guard our hearts. There are some relationships that you have that are just destructive, that the only conversations you have with those people are making you, they're, they're damaging your heart, they're hurting you. And Proverbs doesn't tell us to hold on to every single relationship that we've ever had with every single person. It tells us to guard our hearts. And a lot of us might question, does this really work? And that's probably because we've never really been willing to try it. We've never been willing to try to filter the things that we allow in. But imagine how much easier it would be to not say things that are profane if you seriously reduce the amount of profanity you're exposed to. Imagine how much easier it would be to give words of life, to not complain, to not criticize, to not lash out in anger 
if we didn't foster those relationships and allow those things into our heart, but instead fostered relationships that were life-giving, is if you keep it out of your heart, it'll stay out of your mouth. Now, because I don't like ending on a bunch of things that we need to stop doing whenever it comes to guarding our heart, I think there's another old adage that we need to remember, and that's that sometimes the best defense is a good offense. It's a phrase that means that sometimes if you want to protect what's most important to you, the best thing that you can do is keep the initiative, keep the ball on your side of the field. I am a huge sports fan, maybe to to a problematic extent, but I am a huge sports fan, and one of the things that drives me crazy, absolutely up a wall, is whenever my team has the lead, and then all of a sudden they stop doing the things that got them there. Like, all of a sudden, they stop pressing on offense, and instead of playing to win, they start playing not to lose. And then we act like it's a big shock whenever the other team, like, starts to turn it around, and, and, and maybe they even, they come back all together, and they beat your team. And you want to talk about things that are bad for my heart, it's when that happens... It's because they got so focused on defense that they stopped doing the things that they needed to do to go out there and get the outcome that they wanted to get. Guarding our hearts involves more than just filtering out the bad. It involves more than just keeping out the things that we don't want in and playing not to lose. Is we got to go on offense. We've got to do things. We've got to go out and pursue the things that are going to make us more like Jesus. Get more of that inside, more of that in our hearts. And whenever we do, we're going to intentionally fill ourselves up, which is going to be just as good, if not better, than keeping things out. What does this look like? This looks like spending time in God's word every day. You look at the Bible and you say, well, I wonder if there are any, like, God-honoring, life-affirming words in there, like all of it. <laughs> when you read Scripture, your thought isn't to, isn't to be angry. Your thought isn't to criticize or complain. Your thought is like, man, do we have a good God, and man, am I lucky he pulled my rear out of the fire. Whenever we read Scripture, it gives us these words of life. Uh, we need to be praying. We need to be talking to God all the time. Speaking words of praise to our God all the time. Taking the troubles of life and the trials of life and going to God with them. It's funny how a venting session with God looks a little different. It's like whenever we do, we're like, God, my boss is driving me nuts. But I know you said I'm supposed to respect the people who have been putting authority over me. Oh, yeah, and there's that thing where you died for my sins. That was good. God, my kids are making me want to pull my hair out. But God, I know that you say that my kids are a blessing from you. And that as your kid, I probably want to make you pull your white beard out sometimes. It's Whenever we bring these things to God, talking to God has this way of refocusing us, refocusing our hearts so that we can tell him what's going on. We can talk about the frustrations And he has this way of refocusing us on who he is. Good friends who love Jesus will do this in your life too. If you need somebody to talk to about, hey, these are the things that are bothering me or these are the things that are going wrong, find someone in your life who doesn't fuel that fire. Find someone in your life who who refocuses that, who turns that around and gets you thinking about God and who he is. 
And, and so you might say, well, there was a, a Memorial Day's worth of application. Read your Bible and pray. Like, that seems pretty basic. You worked really hard on that, Todd, didn't you? <laughs> um, I've been in student ministry for like six years now. I've been working with students for about the past six years. And, and once I had a student who came up to one of our, our life group leaders, one of our adult volunteers, and they asked that exact question. They said, why is it the only advice you ever seem to give us is read your Bible and pray? Like, is that really the only thing you got in your bag of tricks? Like, read your Bible, pray, that's it? And he said, well, here's the thing. It works, and you're not doing it. And that's, and that's the, the truth of the matter. So many of us, we have these things that can give us, the, we can take in these life-giving words, these life-giving opportunities, and, the, and they go and read your Bible every day. Spend time in God's Word every day. Go talk to God every day. And don't just pray over your hamburger. Really talk to God every day. And whenever you do these things, then come back to me and tell me you need more advice. But the truth is, it's a pretty effective system. Is a good filter, lets in a lot of good stuff. It keeps out a lot of bad stuff. In our culture, we are so surrounded. We are so surrounded by things. Sometimes we can't even avoid it. You're at school, you're at work, and there's so much of the bad. Other people who let their anger take control. Other people who don't care about watching their words, who let their complaining run over. There, there's so much of that surrounding us that we can't even avoid anyway. Are we filling ourselves up with the things of Jesus so that our heart is drawn to him? I don't want to say this in a way that is legalistic. I don't want to say this in a way that, that makes you think, oh, well, if I, if I take in some bad, I can cancel it out with some things that are good. I don't want you to think that at all. But we do need to ask ourselves the question, am I taking in as much good from God, letting that through my filter as I am having the bad stuff get through? You know, is that, is that two-hour movie I watched that was pretty borderline, was that two hours that I spent one night doing more than the entire time I spent all week reading God's Word? If it is, it's probably time to change the filter. It's probably time to get doing some work on our heart. Because I've never been one for, uh, for much for diet change. I just like junk food too much, and it's not okay, but I do. But I, I've talked to people who, who have gone through some major diet change, and one of the things that always is just fascinating about it is even though it's really difficult for them to, to get rid of some of the bad things in their diet and to start taking some more nutritional things in, whenever they do, they start finding themselves wanting more of that nutritional stuff and not really having a craving anymore for the bad stuff. I know of people who have just given up drinking soda, and it's hard at first, that caffeine headache, whew, but they, they've given up drinking soda, and after they've done it for a while, they, they come back and they say, they say, I don't even have a desire for it anymore. Like, it, it completely turns me off to think about drinking soda. If they take a taste of it, it's actually, like, repulsive to them. Kingsway, I believe that if we take in more of who Jesus is and we work on filtering out the things that are going to damage our hearts, that we're going to have more of a craving for what is good and that we're not even going to want that junk back in our lives. We're not going to even want to let it through anymore. It might be tough to kick the habit at first, but the tougher we filter our hearts, the more we're going to find ourselves wanting that with our lives and the more life-giving we're going to speak from our mouths. We're going to move into a time of communion. 
And, uh, and, and this is going to be some time between you and God. We've, uh, we, we've got tables set up. We're going to have communion here at, at some tables stationed around the room. And we've also got boxes for offering. If you call this your church home and, 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 and you're giving today, you can do so there. During this time, I want us all to, to, to stop and, and reflect on what Jesus did. Reflect when we take this little piece of bread that represents his body. We take the little cup of juice that represents his blood and we think about the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross, that he died on that cross to give us new hearts. And when we stop and when we think about that, I want us to ask the question, God, am I filtering this heart that you died to save? God, what am I allowing in that is doing damage to this heart? Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me a new heart Lord God, what needs to change here? What needs to change about what I'm letting in? And during this time, if, you, if you've heard something this morning, if something has, has spurred up in you, we're going to have our prayer team who's going to be down to my left, to your right, and they would love to pray with you. They would love to speak life-giving words into your life, maybe for the very first time. And they would love to pray with you about what's going on. So if you would, bow your heads, and we're going to pray. Father God, Lord, you are a God who has given us wisdom, who, who wants us to live in a way that is wise, Lord. And God, you, have, you, you know of the damage that we have done with our mouths. You know of the wickedness in our hearts. And even in the midst of all of it, you died to save us. You died to change our hearts, to give us a new heart, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that now we would just, Lord, we would, we would focus in we would lean in and that we would say thank you. Thank you for dying on that cross for us, Lord Jesus. Please show me. Please show me what's going on in my heart. Lord, our filters, our mouth filters can fool a lot of people, but they can't fool you, God. You know our heart. And so, Lord, I pray, I ask that in this moment, in this time, every single one of us would turn to you, that we would thank you for saving us. Lord, that we would recognize that we would commit to filling ourselves up with you, to getting rid of the things that are doing damage so that our mouths can be those that give life. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for dying on that cross for our sins. And it is in your mighty name that we pray.